Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God calls Jesus God. And when I'm talking to a Jehovah Witness and they tell me, no, Jesus isn't God. He was the first one created and he's not God. I bring them to Hebrews chapter one. I show them this verse and the one that follows it. And I'll say, now, God called him God and you say he's not. Who should I listen to? But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Such a significant verse we're studying today in Hebrews chapter 1 because God calls Jesus God. The entire book of Hebrews proclaims Jesus' authority over everything as the Son of God and as God. Some popular cults today argue that Jesus might be many things, but he is not God. Today, we look at this verse in Hebrews and many others throughout Scripture that proclaim Jesus is God. Here's Robert Furrow with more from Hebrews chapter 1. We pick it up in verse 5. Again, I'll encourage you to go back and listen to the first study of the first four verses. He introduces Jesus and then he gives us a sevenfold description of Jesus in the first four verses. And it's called the glorious description, a sevenfold glorious description of Jesus. And it's awesome. And then after that description of who he is, it says in verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. So he's making a distinction between Jesus and this glorious description that's in the first four verses and angels now. And he says, to which of the angels does he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And this is a quote seven times. I find that number interesting. There's seven descriptions of Jesus in the first four verses. There's seven times that he, he quotes Psalms talking about who Jesus is. So he's getting this information from the Old Testament scriptures. And here he, first thing he does is quote Psalms 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And I'm going to make it down to verse 12. It says in Psalms 2, verse 7, remember this is the Old Testament scriptures, right? This is the, the Jewish Bible. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord and fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way when his wrath is kindled but a little bit, blessed are those who put their trust in him. This is a messianic psalm. And it's not a messianic psalm because we at the church look back at it and go, that's obviously talking about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. That's obviously talking about him. It's a messianic psalm because Jews in history identified it as a messianic psalm. This is talking about the Messiah. Go back to verse seven again. He says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask and I will give to you the nations for an inheritance. This is the son that God has chosen, the Messiah that would come upon the earth and he would be the only begotten of the father. None of the angels were begotten by God. In the book of Job, they are called the sons of God. 
says the angel, talking about the angels, the sons of God presenting themselves before God and the Satan or the, the opposer stood with him. And God asked the opposer, what have you been doing? And he said, I've been walking around the earth watching men. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? And that's when the opposer, who we, the Satan, uh, turned, that's what the word Satan means, and set his attention on Job. They are called sons of God because they don't have any, they're no earthly father or, or no father other than the one who created them. But Adam was created by God and Adam was called a son of God because Adam was created directly by God. And Jesus is called the only begotten of the father because he's the only one in all of history that God placed supernaturally inside of a woman's womb. And that, of course, would be Mary. And then Jesus would be called the son of God. Verse 12 again, kiss the son lest he be angry. Hey, we all have to, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in your ways. The second part of verse five where he says, again, I will be a, a, to him a father and he shall be to me a son is a quote out of 2 Samuel chapter seven where David is given the promise of a son who's gonna sit on the throne and it's talking about Solomon, but that the throne of David is going to be an everlasting throne. And so he brings that up because Jesus sets upon the throne of David. So in verse six, he says, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And here's where the Jehovah Witnesses and also the Mormons will say, well, he was, see, he was the firstborn. He was the first one that was created. He was the firstborn of creation. Colossians uses similar verbiage. It says that he was the express image of the living God. He was the firstborn of all creation and nothing was created without him. But the firstborn here doesn't mean that he was the first one ever created. We know that he takes on a body. We know that he is preexistent. Micah 5.2, the prophecy about Bethlehem which says, you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the villages, out of you will come a ruler who will rule my people. His days are from everlasting. The Mormons might say, well, that means he was a spirit baby, but it's literally everlasting. He has no beginning of days. He has no end of days. And so here when it says he is the firstborn, it's not the firstborn as being the first one created. It's the firstborn who has the inheritance rights there was the firstborn being the first one that was born, but there was also the firstborn who received the right of inheritance of the firstborn. And sometimes a child who was born second would receive the inheritance of the firstborn, even though they weren't firstborn because the older brother had died. And now the younger brother received the inheritance of the firstborn. Jesus was given the inheritance of the firstborn because, well, his inheritance is everything and we inherit with him. So when he says, but when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So all of the angels of God worshiped him. We may see that in Luke when the angels are in the area of Bethlehem. And then in verse seven, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now here again, he's quoting Psalms. Here it's Psalms 104, one through six. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who covers yourself with light with a garment and stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of the upper chambers of the water who makes the clouds his chariots, who walks on the wings of the wind, 
who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire, who has laid the foundation of the earth. So he's quoting Psalms 104, referring it to Jesus and talking about Jesus laying the foundations of the earth. He is the creator. It goes on to say, so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep, like with the garment, and the water stood above the mountains. Now in Hebrews 1.8 then, it goes on to say, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now he quotes an Old Testament passage, Psalms 45, 6 and 7, that literally says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And says to Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is an incredible verse, and don't miss the importance of it. God calls Jesus God. And when I'm talking to a Jehovah Witness and they tell me, no, Jesus isn't God. He was the first one created and he's not God. I bring them to Hebrews chapter one. I show them this verse and the one that follows it. And I'll say, now, God called him God and you say he's not. Who should I listen to? I think I'll listen to God because God calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God now says, therefore, God, your God has anointed you. God calls him God a second time. Now, they're going to bring you to a Psalms where God refers to the judges as Elohim, as gods with a small g. And they're going to say that Jesus is referred to as a God here, but so were the judges in the Old Testament. It's not in the same way. Anyway, and, and if you read, I think it's Psalms 85. I should have looked it up. I think it's Psalms 85 where God refers to the judges as gods. You can look it up. It's pretty, pretty easy in the you know, internet days to look it up. But God is mocking them by calling them Elohims because they're full of, of, of a lack of justice. He's not talking about being God at all. But to Jesus, he calls him literally God. Let me read Psalms 45, 6 and 7 to you. This is again the Old Testament. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So here again, out of the Old Testament, we have a prophecy of God calling someone God. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm the one who was alive, was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. So we know who that is, right? Who else could fit that description? A handful of people that might have been raised from the dead by Jesus. People who were alive, dead, and alive now forevermore. Jesus says, the Almighty. He claims to be the Almighty and there's no way, I understand that they try to, but they don't have any ground. There's no way any cult can say, well, when Jesus claimed to be the Almighty, he wasn't claiming to be God. What was he claiming to be then? In Isaiah 9, 6, it talks about a child being born. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father there would be a child who would be born who would be called mighty God. 
So the denial that Jesus is God is a denial not, not against just New Testament teaching, but against Old Testament teaching. And Isaiah 7, 14, for behold, I give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child and he shall be called Emmanuel. That is God with us. The scriptures have so many other references in the New Testament to Jesus being God. Jesus said himself before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees picked up stones to stone him. And he said, for what good work do you want to stone me for? And they said, not for any good work, but you being a man, make yourself out to be God. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And they were shocked by that. Well, you're not yet 50 years old, which makes us think Jesus was 30 something. <laughs> we call him 50. You're not yet 50 years old. And, and, and you say that, you, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see your day. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And don't miss the fact that he's using the I am. Because when Moses was at the burning bush and he says, what is, what is the name? What, what's your name that I can say who sent me? He said, tell them I am that I am has sent you. Jesus says seven I am statements in the book of John. And when he is arrested in the garden and they say, who are you? He says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus responds with I am. When you read it in your Bible, it says, I am he. The he is in italics because it's not in the text. He simply says, I am. And they all fall back on the ground at the power of his pronunciation, I am. He is claiming to be God. Over and over again, we find this clearly in the New Testament. And this is a passage, Hebrews 1, 8, 9, is a passage to highlight, to make sure that you know, because God calls him God twice here in this passage. And finally, we come to, to uh, verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens is the work of your hands. Make sure I'm in the right place here. They will perish, but you will remain and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. Is that the right verses? Okay, good, thank you. I'm looking at my notes here going, maybe I copied the wrong notes. All right, so, and the reason that I, I, I copy my, the, the scriptures onto the notes, by the way, is because I have trouble reading anymore and I can blow it up really big and I can see it clearly. Those of you who are older, you will understand, right? If I got to bring a Bible up here big enough, it'd be like, okay, open up your Bible now. <laughs> All right, so, um, so verse 12 again. So he's talking about him creating the heavens and the earth, right? And then he says, but to which of the angels, verse 13, has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool? Again, he's talking about all of the prophecies that talk about Jesus sitting upon the throne. In Psalms 101.10.1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. See, the writer of the Hebrews is not just coming up with ideas of Jesus being God. He's not just telling them. He's rooting this and grounding this in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Psalms, as he quotes seven different Psalms in this chapter to prove that Jesus indeed is God. And then speaking of angels, he throws this in. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? Now, angels are our servants. And so they had exalted angels 
And he's telling them now, you're turning back to the law, which was given by angels, but you're turning away from God himself, from the creator of everything, from your own creator. And the angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who inherit salvation. The angel strengthened Jesus when he, after he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. I wonder if the angels strengthen us after we're tempted. The angel strengthened Jesus after he faced all of the sorrow and grief being placed upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, I'm so sorrowful, I think I could, I could die. And the Bible says, and then angels came and strengthened him. And I wonder if angels strengthen us when we are overwhelmed. I wonder how angels respond to our prayers. Daniel had Gabriel show up after 21 days of prayer. And Gabriel says, when you started praying, I was dispatched. And the prince of Persia withstood me. And then Michael came and spelled me and I was able to come to you. So there was a spiritual battle taking, taking place in the heavenlies. I think there's so much more going on in the angelic and demonic realm than we ever can begin to understand. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. And that could be scary. You're thinking, okay, I'm doing the work of the gospel and I'm battling against demons. And you say, I'm supposed to go home and sleep now <laughs> after I hear that. But Jesus told his disciples, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions. He wasn't talking about literal snakes for those churches that pass snakes around. <laughs> Don't ever go to a snake handling church. Some of you say, no problem. That's one thing I wouldn't do. He said, behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. And I believe that the authority that we have in the spiritual realm is partially due to the angels that minister to us. But again, God doesn't do that because he doesn't want us exalting the angels. He doesn't want us worshiping the angels or putting an undue, um, undue attention upon the angels. But instead, upon Jesus Christ, who is denied by the cults today, that's what makes a non-Christian cult. And the reason we call them a non-Christian cult is because they look Christian and they're trying to deceive you. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Satan himself appears as an angel of light. Jesus himself said, be careful, you're not deceived. Beware, you be careful. No one deceives you. Satan appears as an angel of light. And this says, so don't be surprised that his ministers appear as angels of the light as well. And so you watch something or you listen to something or you talk to someone. You say, well, I know some, some Mormons, they're really good people. Well, they can be really good people by human standards. There may even be a reason for that because they believe in salvation by works. They don't believe in salvation by grace. And so in order to make it into heaven, they have to be good people. And so you might say, I know really good people, but being good people doesn't get you into heaven. We never believe that. And so these doctrines are brought by those that look good. They talk well. They use our language. And there are many Christians, there are Christians now who are beginning to say things like, I believe they believe the same thing that we do. That's only because like, like Satan who dresses himself up as an angel of light, they're dressing themselves up as ministers of the light when they are not. And we need to stay true to whom Jesus really is because if you receive another Jesus, then what good will it be? You have to receive the real Jesus, the one who created you, the one who's from everlasting, 
the one who was God among us, the one who took on a human form. And that's when Jesus became begotten, when he, when he became a man and then died for us and returned to his glory in the resurrection. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that your word tells us clearly that even if an angel brings you uh, any other word, like Moroni brought to Joseph Smith, supposedly, that we are not to believe them and that they will be accursed. And others that believe that they have a special revelation from you. Lord, we pray that we would be, that we would have insight, that we would not be deceived, that we would guard ourselves with the knowledge of the word of God, that we would know what the Bible says about you and who you are and that you are our savior, the glorious God. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I uh, wanna give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. And so if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, the Bible says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. And the Bible says, there is no other name given under heaven whereby man can be saved but Jesus Christ. You must call upon him, believe him, and receive him in order to be saved. You can't be saved by osmosis, not just because you start going to church, but you're saved as you surrender your life to him. And so if you're here tonight and you want to give your life to Christ and begin to live for him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just raise your hand. I want to take time to acknowledge your hand and I want to pray for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, then don't harden your heart. If you're watching online, all you have to do is say, I want you in my life. Invite him in and pray this prayer with me that we're going to pray in a moment. If you're listening on the radio and you want to give your life to Christ, then just invite him in now. Anyone else? All right. I would like everyone, including those online that received him or those who are on the radio, if you've received Jesus, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned and I know my sin separates me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Now, for those of you online or listening to the, to the radio that received Christ, uh, you can send us an email to saved at calvarytucson.com. Tell us your story. Tell us what happened and how you gave your life to Christ. And um, we'll have people that will respond to you through that email so that you can know what do you do now? Now that you've made a commitment to him, what should you be doing now? You can also fill out a new believer's card by texting ready for Jesus to 94,000. You're going to get a link. Click on that link. That's a new believer's card. Fill that out and we'll have people getting in touch with you and, and letting you know again what you should do now that you made a commitment to him. We want to come alongside of you in any way that we can. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.